Hey, this week we finished up our series called Pray, the most powerful four-letter word, and really what I think is probably our most powerful tool of connecting with our Creator, the gift of prayer that He gave us, uh, not just as a way to talk or to verbalize our feelings, but really as a way for us to grow in intimacy uh, with Him and in understanding Him better, who He is. And over the last few weeks, we've been talking about some quick key questions uh, with prayer about why do we pray, how do we pray, and who are we actually praying to. And we've been kind of looking at a passage in Luke uh, where the disciples came to Jesus and said, teach us to pray. And so he laid out uh, some guidelines there, uh, and we kind of walked through those and, and how he connected with those. Today we're going to look at kind of a parallel passage in the book of Matthew, and it really talks about how you and I can get caught up sometimes in the just the doing of prayer. And Jesus takes on uh, this same kind of mental concept and same kind of physical practice that was going on uh, during his day. People were literally going around praying and like just to show off. So it'd be like showing up at the Times Square, showing up out here at the park and uh, drawing up a crowd and saying, hey guys, I got a good prayer. I've been working on this one. I want you guys to hear it because it is, I mean, it's a killer. And uh, they would show them off. People would then take notes and like copy that one and be like, oh, that was a good phrase. I'm gonna use that one. The next time I have to publicly pray uh, somewhere. And you know, we probably have done that in our own prayer lives in a sense. Like not, not many of us really enjoy praying publicly, praying out loud. I get called on all the time. If I'm at some gathering and there needs to be a prayer, they're like, oh, Patrick's here. You're the pastor. You pray. You know how to do that. And uh, But I, I've been around other people and I've done it myself too. Like, like man, I, I heard that guy use a really good phrase when he was praying. I'm going to remember that one and use it the next time I have to pray at a birthday party or some event or some Christmas community event. And so we do that. And it's like they would share those around. We, it's kind of, you know, if there was Instagram back then, I'm sure there have been Instagram-worthy prayers and people with all these followers uh, based on how good their prayers were, these prayer influencers, basically. And Jesus jumps right into this culture that's going on in that day and is like, no, this is not what prayer is. And he really uses a passage here in Matthew to bust up some myths about prayer. And so what I wanted us to do in our last teaching session on this uh topic and in this series where we look at this passage out of Matthew and highlight some of the myths that Jesus pushes back on and make sure that as we are learning how to pray, who to pray to, and what to pray, we don't start embracing some negative practices of prayer as well. So let me just start by reading this passage out of Matthew. It's Matthew 5, uh, or Matthew 6, 5 through 8, and this is what it says. And when you pray, this is Jesus talking, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father sees in secret and will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. For they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you even ask. And so Jesus 
immediately knocks on some practices here that we can get caught up into. So let me hit just four of these today and uh, make sure we are on guard that these uh, bad practices of prayer and these myths about prayer don't show up in our life. And the first one is this when he says this, they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. And one of the myths that we can buy into is that public prayers are the primary form of praying. They're like, I, I don't really, like what I do in my, my own prayer closet or by myself or just me kind of having this conversation to God, that's not really prayer. Like prayer is really only when somebody does it in front of a crowd or when we do it at church or at the end of a group Bible study when somebody prays in that moment. And Jesus really pushes back on that. He's saying, really, you're praying for the wrong audience at that point. You're praying for the other people to hear you instead of actually praying to God, to the one audience. And this is why he says, don't go and stand and pray in the synagogues to be seen by others so you can be labeled as a good prayer. It's the difference of this. It's the difference between talking to God and talking about God. And this is what happens when we use this idea of public prayers as our primary way of, of praying and it's the only true form of prayer is all we end up is talking a lot about God instead of talking to God. And public prayers are not evil or wrong. I'm not saying we should banish them or get rid of them, you know, but there are private conversations that you want to have with God that aren't suitable for public consumption, basically. Like, you know, I don't necessarily want everybody listening in on my confession time. I don't necessarily want everybody listening in when I just open up about my deepest, darkest questions that I have with God. But that is truly the most intimate moment of prayer. The key moment of prayer is in those private times together. If you're married or boyfriend or girlfriend, or you, you know, just have a, you have a deep friendship with somebody, there's conversations you want to have with that person that just you and that other person want to hear. I mean, I see this all the time. We're in such public settings in different places, or we'll be working in an office and somebody will see their phone ring and they'll see it's, oh, I, I want to go take this call in private. And they'll step out, they'll, they'll go find a private place to talk. And it's not being rude to the people that are here. It's actually showing importance and value to the one you're going to go focus that conversation on. And again, this is what Jesus says here. Don't go into the synagogue. Don't let the synagogue, the place of gathering, be your primary form of prayer that all you're doing is being seen by others. Your prayers, the effectiveness, the quality of your prayers, the impact that they have on you are not determined by the judge's score of people who listen to you. You know, we don't end a, a public prayer time and everybody start holding up cards. That was a nine, a 10, a seven and a half. You, you forgot to, uh, to close to using in Jesus name or something like that. You got deducted for that. That is not what we're about here. And this is what Jesus is pushing back on this idea. Don't judge your prayers by the public response to them. Instead, judge them on the private connection that you have with your creator. But there's a second myth that he brings up here, and it's when he says this part of the verse. He says, but when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And here's the second myth I want you to get. Praying in groups or at special moments 
is more important than praying in private. So we get this idea that, again, big moments of prayer, that, that's the most important, like the grand nature of prayer, of, or how many people heard me pray, or I prayed out loud for this person. Again, these aren't necessarily bad things, but what Jesus is saying here, he's like, look, what I really want you to do, go into your room, go into a private place, and let's have an intimate conversation. I love going to parties. I love hanging out with lots and lots of people. I love hearing different people's stories that are going on. And a lot of time I'll judge a party or a gathering by how much fun everybody else had. Uh, but the truth is there are also times in my life where I just really love being only with one person, with really connecting deeply with them. And as much as, you know, like, Katie and I go out for our anniversary. That's not a dinner I'm going to invite any of you guys to. That's a dinner. It's just going to be her and I. It's going to be an evening that we spend together, a moment of connecting, going deeper, going into a, a private moment. And it's a beautiful thing that we get to do with God that Jesus is reminding us here. This idea of going and making time. Look, it's uh, it's easy sometimes to like want to boast about your prayer life in a sense. Oh, you know, I got up this morning and prayed or, uh, you know, uh, when you're with a group of people and you're invited to pray out loud and you, you do and, you know, the world doesn't fall apart or everybody doesn't end up laughing and you're like, I, I did it. But I just want to reinforce again to you here how important a private moment is with God. That one-on-one. I don't, I don't want you to get concerned here that you, you should never pray in public or that you shouldn't have asked to lead in prayer, that you shouldn't do that. Because doing those kind of things help encourage other people. It helps other people understand what prayer is. It draws us together as a group. But don't let that be a substitute for your private, intimate time with God. And this is so key for each of us. And we can quickly turn this into, again, a checklist, right? Of like, oh, I prayed this morning. I, I remember, you know, different places that I've served, churches, we would have to get up and come to church early and the staff and the leadership would get there and we would pray, you know, for an hour before church started. And I always thought it was kind of crazy because we'd just go around in a circle and we'd each pray and we'd listen to each other pray. And, and honestly, I was listening to them pray more than I was actually thinking about God in that moment or really what was going on in my heart. And again, you would, we knew some people would pray really long. Some people would pray short. Some people prayed for the same thing every week. And it just be, kind of came this routine. And I remember thinking, you know, maybe it would be more impactful in my life. And maybe the impact was I'll try to lead people on a Sunday morning to spend an hour by myself with God before I show up to be with other people. And, and I think this is a great lesson for us to learn because I think God's not calling us into this private time just to say, you know, keep your spiritual life quiet and to yourself. That's not what he's saying here. But he's like, I want time with you and you alone so that then when you go out and you're connecting with other people, when you're going out and trying to serve other people, when you're going out and trying to lead other people, when you're going out and trying to let others know about the gracious nature of our God, you're going to be coming at it from a, a right perspective and a right attitude and a right framework because of the time you've had with him. It's not that 
you got to get when a, an opportunity to serve or lead, you know, you got to call four people on the phone and say, hey, let's pray together and get this done, have a public prayer meeting. Again, they aren't bad. I'm not pushing back on that. But Jesus is saying, don't make that the primary. Make the primary the private. And I think when we remember that, it allows us to really, truly grow in our prayer time. There's a third myth I want to push back on here. And it's here, you know, he says it this way in verse 7. He says, when you pray... Do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your father's, father knows what you need before you ask him. And here's the myth I want us to push back on, is that there is some secret formula out there for making God hear you and answer your prayers. You know, we think if we use a certain phrases, then I'll get you know God to hear me or pay attention to me or... I need to pray a certain length of time or a certain number of times uh, for God to hear me. If I, I got to pray at a certain time of day, if I get up in the morning and pray, if I pray before I go to bed at night, then God will hear me. And uh, we put all these things in a box and figure out if I can do this, 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 and this, then God will respond. I remember growing up, I used to, you know, it was always encouraged to pray before you go to bed at night, say your nightly prayers. And always found that the hardest time to actually pray. But it was like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give 15 minutes to God at the end of my day to pray. And, and I'd get about 15 seconds in at night with my eyes closed trying to pray to God. And I'm gone. Like the next morning I wake up and I guess I, guess I prayed all night because I don't remember ever saying amen to close it because I just fell asleep in the middle of it. You know, or to get up. I got to get up at four in the morning before everybody else uh, to pray and uh, to show how serious I am. And so God will know I'm taking this seriously. And what I want you to understand is there's not a secret formula. 4 a.m. prayers are not more impactful than 4 p.m. prayers. 30 minutes of saying the same thing over and over to God does not make God hear us more than just taking 30 seconds in an intense moment to say, God, I need you and I need your wisdom here. But the truth is there is actions that lead to intimacy. And we've talked about that in the How to Pray. And so I'm not saying that we shouldn't set up some regular times to talk to God or to set aside a significant amount of time to talk to him. But I don't want you to begin to think that that checklist of I said this today, I got, I prayed this now for seven days. So God has to do something. And I've been having seven people pray with me about it. And so we get into these kind of formulas and incantations, and, and that's what we turn prayer into, is right? Just kind of this other incantation to try to get this unknown spirit in the sky to work on our behalf. That doesn't sound like the Christianity that I understand or the Christianity that Jesus teaches. Because what he teaches, especially what we looked at last week, this who do we pray to, it's a God that's active and involved, who knows us, who wants to be involved with us. He's not a God that's got to be tricked into helping us are manipulated. He's not got to be somebody that we've got to earn the right to be heard. He is ready to listen and to hear from us. And so it's this beautiful idea that there's no specific, you know, checklist that we got to do. As a matter of fact, what it is is simply a dialogue, right? It's a dialogue. It's me talking and then me listening. It's me speaking a question and then waiting for an answer. And if we get caught up into these, you know, it's about, you know, public prayers, praying it as loud as I can, you know, these prayers so everybody can hear me are 
instead of my private moments are saying the right things in the right time, the right number of times, then that's going to get God to answer my prayers. And this is what Jesus says, absolutely not. He doesn't care if your prayers are Instagram worthy. He doesn't pray if anybody quotes you or tweets out part of your prayer. What he wants is a dialogue with you. And this is the core nature of what prayer is and it's what makes it so powerful. It is a dialogue with our creator. Think about maybe who it is in this world that you admire the most that's you know living and that you maybe have no access to right now. Maybe it's a, a world leader. Maybe it was a some artist or uh, somebody who's just made an impact in your life that you don't have access to. Think about if all of a sudden you were gifted today an hour a day of that person's time, just you and that person. Like, I don't think you would start wasting it. You, you might take the first few minutes and be like, I just want to tell you how special you are and how much you meant to me and all this kind of stuff. And, and you might sing a lot of praises in those first five or 10 minutes. But if you knew you had an hour of that person's time every day, just you and them, I would imagine you would start using that time very effectively to learn from that person, to get to know them better, to grow deeper in the areas that they've impacted your life. You know, and so this is what God's inviting us to. It's what Jesus is inviting us to. He says, look, don't waste the time of your creator trying to impress other people. Talking about, hey, let me tell you what I told God the other day. No, instead spend the time listening, dialoguing with God so that as you're then interacting with people, you're acting out and they're experiencing the wisdom of God that you've brought in as well. There's a fourth myth, and it's not really tied out of this passage of Scripture, but it's one of my favorite passages of Scripture farther on in the New Testament in the book of First Thessalonians. And uh, it's really one of the shortest verses uh, in the Bible, but it is packed with depth and meaning and really pushes back on another myth. And it's First Thessalonians, First Thessalonians 5.17, and it simply says this, Pray without ceasing. Never stop praying. Never stop. And here's the fourth myth I want us to push back on a little bit today is thinking that prayer is an action more than it is an attitude. And so many of us live our life thinking, okay, I got to set up a prayer time. I got to, you know, get up at this time and do it and all those kind of things. Like I need to have a prayer time. I need to do prayer. That's an action. And what Paul teaches in this book of Thessalonians that he's teaching to this new church in the town of Thessalonica, he is reminding them that prayer is not just an action, it's an attitude. That we walk through this life constantly in dialogue with our creator. I mean, it's it's like having an AirPod in, you know, AirBud in that you have constant connection with him. And even as you're going through your day and you're talking with other people, you're experiencing other things, you can always be like, hey, you know, God, help me in this moment. God, give me wisdom as I have this conversation right now. I was not expecting this. I got called into somebody's office or I got confronted about something I wasn't expecting. God, I, you don't have time in that moment to go do the action of prayer, like to tell your boss, like, hey, before I come in for this unexpected meeting, I got to take 30 minutes and pray. Like, but what you can do is you can carry the attitude of prayer in with you and say things like this. God, help me not to say anything 
that I'll regret. God, give me the wisdom to say the right words in this meeting. Or maybe you're getting confronted about a sin in your life and you, you want to get defensive and instead of, again, taking the, the action of prayer that moment, let that attitude of prayer hold true in your life and be, God, let, let my heart be open to correction right now. God, let me hear rebuke and not dismiss it just because it hurts. And again, this can happen with other difficult conversations. It can happen in great opportunities as well when good things are going and you're receiving blessings or you're receiving praise to have the attitude of prayer to say, God, help me in this moment to receive this the right way so it doesn't bloat up my ego, so it doesn't allow me to then push and allow pride to start influencing how I react and what I say to people. This is what it means to have an attitude of prayer versus just an action of prayer. And I think if we could close this series today holding on to one truth, I would really encourage you to to take the pieces that we talked about, the who to pray to, what to pray, and how to pray, these other myths, and start to incorporate them, not into a, just an action of prayer, but an attitude of prayer. And let it be a part of who you are 24-7. Every waking and sleeping moment, you know, we've all had moments where we can't sleep at night and worry overwhelms us. And we sit there and think about things and can't, you know, really nothing we can do at 2.30 in the morning to deal with them except for pray. Let an attitude of prayer begin to come into you. I, I do this often when I wake up and I'm unsettled about something in my heart. I'm like, God, I don't know why I'm feeling this. I don't understand. I don't know that I can even have an answer right now and I just need peace. I need your peace to guide me. I need your wisdom in my life. I need understanding that I don't have right now. I just need to step forward in prayer. And prayer becomes a beautiful, beautiful dialogue when we allow that to happen. One of the projects I've been working on uh, over the last year and I'm coming close to finish it is a book about some of my personal prayers with God and some of my most difficult moments. Uh, moments from past hurt and harm and times when I did hurt and harm to other people and how I dialogued and processed that with God. And in the coming days, I'm excited to share that with you in a written form. But uh, as I've already shared it with some people, one of the questions they ask is, how do you pray like that? How do you actually have a dialogue with God? And the simple answer is, practice. It's the practice of prayer, not an action, not just doing it more and trying, but actually the practice of speaking and listening, opening up your heart, taking thoughts captive and bathing them in prayer before they come out of your mouth. Sometimes we take that verse of, you know, I need to take every thought captive and we take that thought captive and we deal with it. We make it better before we allow it to take control of our lives or to turn into an action. But the truth is taking every thought captive means when, when you have a thought of anger or bitterness or hatred or even joy and excitement, like you take that and you bathe it immediately in prayer. Not our own wisdom, not our own understanding, but the wisdom of God and the understanding of God and saying, God, what do I do with this? God, help me. I, this is a feeling I'm having. Like now cleanse it in righteousness so that then when it comes out, we start to act in righteousness as well. And the more you do that, the more it becomes second nature 
in your life. And I think this is why Paul was telling the church in Thessalonica this, is to pray without ceasing, is because what it's what he was doing. It Maybe it was a reminder to him as well, but I think it was probably more in Paul's life a reflection of how he interacted with God. And I think you can see that, that if you read Paul's writings all throughout the New Testament, the many times I feel like I'm just listening in on a conversation between him and God. And uh, we can learn a lot from that. I'm turning it in, it's not prayer not being an action, instead making it an attitude. I hope for us today, as we finish this series, uh, that we become people that pray, that use this amazing tool to connect with our Creator and to allow His truth to flow into us and to flow out of us. When you're hurting, pray constantly. Pray without ceasing. When you're joyful, pray without ceasing. When you're confused, pray without ceasing. When you fall in love, pray without ceasing. When you have heartbreak, pray without ceasing. When you receive good news, bad news, no news, pray without ceasing. When worry overtakes you, or when you're experiencing complete calm and peace, pray without ceasing. I think one of the, it's going to sound weird maybe, but one of the worst words that we have in our Christian vernacular is the word amen. Because oftentimes we use the word amen to think it means the end. Like I'm done. I'm hanging up the phone now. But that that's not even what the word amen means. It means I agree or you're giving a cheer of acclamation. Like yes, yes. And so amen, instead of using it as a way to hang up, it's when you have a moment, when you have a great conversation with God, it's like, yes, I did it, amen. It's not a hangup though, it's to keep going. And so I wanna encourage you maybe to, just for a season, take that word amen out of your prayer vernacular when you're having this prayer, private prayer time with God and be like, I'm not done, you're still in my ear, you're still here as I'm walking through this day. I, I don't have to say hello again because I never said goodbye. Just keep the dialogue going. Remember that amen is not the end. It is yes. Yes. God, we need you to pray a different way, to teach us to pray a different way. God, not to take moments like this when one person is talking and many are listening and make it think that that is the most powerful moment of prayer. Instead, let the private moments become important to us. God, teach us, drive that into our hearts. And we ask this in Jesus' name.